Open with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and I believe it's page 922 in your pew Bible. 922, Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin the fourth chapter of Mark this week. But before we do, allow me to pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning for you. You are a a holy and righteous God. You are seated on your throne, reigning. And yet we, your lowly creation, who are sinful, eternally separated from you, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. And God, we proclaim the good news of that gospel message each and every week. We find it on every page of Scripture. So help us to, to know that this morning. Help us to know that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And help us to see the glory of Jesus in this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin Mark chapter 4, one of the things that we need to remember is that it, it comes right after Mark chapter 3. So that sounds elementary. That sounds very basic. But one of the things we easily forget now that our Bibles have chapter divisions and verse divisions is that this is, this is one big narrative that Mark is compiling and he's, he's putting things in certain orders for a reason. So we shouldn't just pick up with Mark chapter 4 and think it has nothing to do with Mark chapter 3. And so that'll come into play as, as we understand a little bit more about this, this parable. But as we look at, at Mark chapter 4, it probably in your Bible has a subheading that says the parable of the sower. And so up to this point in Mark's gospel, we have not really had a large parable that we focused on. Now, this is not the first parable in Mark's gospel. If you look back to Mark chapter 3, verse 23, we see that Jesus called them to himself and said to them in parables, dot, dot, dot. And so Jesus has taught in parables before, but not until recently. So as we come to Mark chapter 4 and we see that we're confronted with the parable of the sower, there's a couple questions that I want us to ask. First question is, one, what is a parable? The second question is, why does Jesus teach in parables? And then the third question is, what does this parable mean? So let me read the passage. We're going to read from Mark chapter 4 verse 1 all the way down to verse 20. So follow along with me in your Bibles. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10 says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. 
And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and, those, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So here we have a parable of Jesus. And as you may be familiar with parables, if you've grown up in church, or even some people who may have never stepped foot in church have probably heard about some of the parables of Jesus. I venture to say, if we go out here to the gas station and ask just any random person, have you ever heard of the Good Samaritan? Chances are they may say yes. Because some of the parables that Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels are very popular. They've become uh, very Renowned, and, and people are very familiar with them. And so even people outside of church may have heard of some of the parables. And maybe you really enjoy the parables. Maybe you, you particularly enjoy a certain parable. But we want to ask the question, what is a parable? Because if we want to understand what Jesus is teaching us, we need to understand what this, this idea of a parable is to begin with. And so for many people, many of us have probably heard a parable explained as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's a good explanation, that's a good definition of what a parable is, but it's not a complete definition. So that, that is true to a degree, but, but there's more to it than just that. It's more than just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so if we were to look at a, a dictionary definition of what a, a parable is, it is a short fictional story which teaches a gospel truth or a moral principle. So one of the things we need to remember when we think about what a parable is, is that it's a short fictional story that teaches a gospel principle or a gospel truth. And usually, in almost all the parables we find in the New Testament, almost all of them, their main point or, or what they're about is the kingdom of God. And we see that in this one as well. In verse 11, Jesus says that this is referring to the kingdom of God, saying you, you, have, you have the ability to understand these parables because they've been given to you. And so when we think about a parable, it is a short fictional story. And, and the reason that fictional is important is because oftentimes when we come to a parable, there's a lot of details inside of a parable. And, and what's tempting for us to do is to look at all these details and try and find hidden secret meaning in all these details, which is typically not a good idea. That's where we get sidetracked, and that's where we start believing some crazy things that Jesus never intended. 
A parable is a made-up story. So when, the, when we read about people in a parable or actions that happen in a parable, they're just made up. They're not real. This isn't like an, an actual historical event. Jesus just made this up. And usually, there's one main point to a parable. Usually. Sometimes there's more. Sometimes there's maybe two. But usually there is one main point to a parable. So let's not get too caught up in the details. Let's not get too sunk into what might this mean or what, what's this secret here. But let's read it and let's understand the context in which Jesus gives us this parable. And it will help us understand the, the greater or the, the meaning that Jesus conveys when he teaches in parables. John MacArthur, who's a popular a pastor and also an author, has, has said concerning the parables that even more so than just being fictional stories that teach gospel truth, parables are Jesus' theology of salvation in story. So as Dr. MacArthur says, parables are Jesus' way of teaching salvation through the means of a story. And he also goes on to say that all parables are doctrinal, which means they teach doctrine, all parables are theological, which means they teach us about God. And all parables are soteriological, which means they teach us about salvation. So parables are not just a good story that help us remember something or that we should, you know, make us feel good. A parable teaches us a lot about God. It teaches us a lot about salvation. It teaches us about the kingdom of God. So let's not read the parable and think that, oh, well, this is just a good, good, happy, feel-good story. Fun little types of soil and experiment. This is a story that Jesus is teaching to help us understand the kingdom of God and to help us understand salvation. There are approximately 40 parables found in the New Testament, give or take. Some people uh, debate on, on certain ones if they're actual parables or if they're not, so that's why I say approximately about 40 of them. And in the New Testament, all of those parables are found in only three books. Only three books in the entire New Testament. They are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't find any parables in John's Gospel. We find them only in the Synoptic Gospels, which is interesting. And when we look at them even further, all of the parables in the New Testament, which are found in these only, only three books, they're all taught by only one person. There's only one person in the entire New Testament who uses parables as a way to teach. And that's Jesus. So maybe that's intriguing you and you're thinking, well, well, why would only Jesus teach in parables? Because, you know, maybe I was taught a parable as, as a kid. I remember hearing a, a parable being taught to me in Sunday school, and I remembered it. It's a very memorable way to teach. And so why does only Jesus utilize parables as, as a way to teach? And the answer to that question comes as we ask our second question. So our first question, what is a parable? We understand that it's a short fictional story that has gospel truth and gospel principle and it teaches us about God it teaches us about the kingdom of God so then our second question is why does Jesus teach using parables so why does Jesus use parables why does he employ parables in the way that he teaches people and why is he the only one who does look with me in Mark chapter 4 verses 10 through 12 so this is right after Jesus had taught the parable. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And they said to him, sorry, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, 
everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now this seems really harsh. Do you see what Jesus is saying? So get this. The beginning of chapter 4 paints this picture as if there's a ton of people that have come to listen to Jesus. So much so that he has to get into a boat and get out in the water while all the people are, are just standing around on the land. So there's a lot of people that want to hear Jesus teach. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll teach. And he teaches in a parable. And many people are probably thinking as they hear this parable, what does this have to do with anything? A random story about this guy sowing some seed and it kind of growing some places, but it doesn't grow other places. And so they ask him. They say, uh, Jesus, what's the deal with these parables? I, what, what were you trying to teach us with that? And Jesus says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus teaches in parables as a judgment. Jesus is teaching in parables so that those who have rejected him will not understand, they will not see, they will not perceive, and they will not turn and believe in him. Now that sounds incredibly harsh. That sounds like a very unloving God. So now why does Jesus want that to be the case? Why does Jesus preach in parables so that people won't see and won't understand? Because that doesn't seem to make any sense. If we look at the life of Jesus, it doesn't seem like he would want to conceal the truth from anyone. Isn't that the reason that he came from heaven and lived among us? Is so that we could know God, so that we could know what Jesus has done for us, so we can have salvation? So why would he teach in such a way that he is purposely concealing the truth. And to understand that, we have to understand the greater context. So up to this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been teaching very openly and very clearly. We haven't seen a parable up to this point because Jesus is wherever he goes, large crowds are gathering, and he is very clearly teaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching about who he is. He's teaching about what he has come to do. He's not concealing things. He's not using parables so that they won't understand. All of this is open, and if you want to listen, here it is. He has performed miracles. He's healed people who are sick. He's, he's cured people of their disease. He's cast out demons. Jesus has not tried to hide anything he is doing up to this point. And then look at chapter 3, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. So the scribes, the religious people of this day, who are witnessing Jesus, they see that Jesus is breaking their Sabbath, they see that he's doing things that they do not approve of, and they have openly witnessed his teaching, his healing, his casting out demons, all the things that he's done. They have seen it, and their response is to say, he's from hell. He is the devil. He is evil. That response to Jesus 
is what Jesus says is the unforgivable sin. Do you remember that when Josh preached on that? There is a sin that cannot be forgiven, and it is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what the scribes have done. They have seen the works of Jesus. They have heard his teaching. Nothing was hidden from them, and their response was, no, he is the devil. He is from hell. And to reject the work of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins, to convince you of the truth, is the unpardonable sin. And so the reason Jesus now begins to teach in parables is because those who have openly rejected him already, he says, I'm going to conceal the truth so they will not hear it anymore. So Jesus teaching in parables is a judgment on those who have rejected Jesus. So, why is Jesus the only one who teaches in parables? As John MacArthur says, it's because only Jesus gets to decide when judgment falls. The apostles don't get to decide when judgment falls. Pastors, preachers don't get to decide when judgment falls. Jesus decides when judgment falls. And Jesus decided this point. You've rejected me. I have spoke openly about myself. You have seen the miracles. They have witnessed about me and who I am. And you reject me. Judgment falls. But Don MacArthur also points out that in this judgment, there is also a hint of mercy. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, Everyone to whom has much was been given, of him much will be required. What he means by that is the more you have, the more knowledge you have, the more you are required, or the more is required of you for having that knowledge. And so what Jesus is doing by, by teaching in parables, although this is a judgment on the people who have rejected him, what Jesus is doing is hiding the truth so that those who have rejected him will not know more and be responsible for more and have a worse punishment when they continue to reject him. So although we read this and think, man, that's judgment that Jesus is calling down on these people who have rejected him is harsh, there's also an element where he is being gracious towards them. The less they know, the less their punishment will be worse. So Jesus is concealing the truth from them. But we should know that it's, it's not Jesus' desire, it's not Jesus' whole goal to hide the truth from everyone. Because we could easily read this and think, well, it seems like even his disciples, the 12 around him, didn't understand the parable. They even had to ask Jesus about it. So is Jesus' purpose to hide the truth from everybody? Well, no, that's, that's not the case. Because when we see the 12 come to him and ask him later, he happily explains the parable. And for you and for me, living in the 21st century, we have it recorded in the gospel. So, so it's not trying to be hidden from us. Jesus is not wanting everyone to not be able to understand what he's teaching we have an explanation so we can understand this parable so now we understand a little bit about what a parable is we understand why jesus is teaching in parables but now let's look at the parable itself and and let's see what the parable means so let's read it again we'll start in verse one and then we'll, we'll flip forward to the the explanation that jesus gives so Jesus began to teach beside the sea, 
And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell along the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's the parable that Jesus spoke. And now let's look at verse 13 where Jesus begins to explain the parable. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. But endure for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So we see the parable, and then Jesus walks right through the parable and explains what it all means. So now I think I, I forgot to mention when I'm talking about a parable in general that the word actually translated, the word we get parable from, literally translated means comparison. So one of the key aspects of a parable is it compares something. There, there's an aspect of comparison within the parable. So to understand the meaning of the parable, we have to know what is being compared. So if we look at this, we understand that there's four types of soil in the, in the parable that Jesus tells. And then in Jesus' explanation, these four types of soils are compared to the hearts of human beings. So the point of comparison in this parable is that each one of the soils represents one of the human, the conditions of the human heart. So there's our main point of comparison. And Jesus goes so far as to explain a few other things as well. So the seed that is sown on the ground, that's the word. That's the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus Christ. So that's what he's referring to when he says the seed is falling on all these different types of soils. That's the gospel. And the sower is the one who's spreading the gospel. So then, he begins to explain the soils. So we've got the first one, which is the path. And Jesus says, in verse 15, These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So here's the first soil. It's the soil along the path. And if any of you have been to a hiking trail or anything like that, and you've been on one of these paths that people walk on very often, it's often very 
patted down. It's very hard. If you were to drop some seeds, they're definitely not getting under that and, and producing any fruit. Because it's been walked over, it's been walked over, it's been walked over. This is a soil that's so hard, there's no chance for anything to grow there. Nothing is going to be fruitful if, if planted on this soil. And Jesus says, when the, when the word is sown on this type of human heart, here's what happens. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. So there are certain people whose hearts are so hard, they have rejected the good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. They are so hardened to the gospel message that even when they hear the word preached or read the word, it doesn't even penetrate their heart. It doesn't phase them one bit. It's like the old expression, in one ear, out the other. There may be people sitting in church this morning who have this heart. Their heart is so hard, they don't care about anything to do with the gospel. They just think that coming to church is a good thing and that coming to church is going to make them a better person, but they're not really interested at all in hearing about the good news of Jesus. And their heart is so hard that no matter how much the gospel is poured on them, it has no effect. Satan immediately comes and snatches the word. It takes no root. There is no response from this person. Then we've got a second type of soil. This is the rocky ground. And in verse 16, he says, These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So the first condition is, is a heart that's so hard, it, it does not even respond to the gospel. The second condition, here are people, they're like rocky ground. When the word is sown, just like that seed which when the sun hits it, it's like, oh yeah, let's do it. I'm going to sprout. I'm going to be a beautiful flower. And it seems like the word has taken root. It seems like it's going to bear fruit. But the problem is, there's no root. It's not receiving nutrients from down in the ground. It doesn't have any kind of stable structure. And so as soon as the sun comes up and it starts to beat down and scorch on this, it kills it. And Jesus says... In the same way, there are human hearts who hear the word of God and their response is, yes, woo, love it. This is good stuff. I am all in. I'm all about this. And it seems to take root. But Jesus says it doesn't. They receive it with joy. Immediately when they hear it, it sounds great. It sounds like, yes, I want to devote my life to this. But there's no root. It does not take root. It just seems like a good thing to do. And as soon as trials come, as soon as difficulty enters in life, gone. This is not for me. Not what I'm interested in. Not what I signed up for. Not what I was expecting. I'm out. Jesus says that's, that's the second type of human heart. Those who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy but as soon as difficulty comes, they're out. Now notice, he doesn't say anything about when difficulty comes. Maybe it'll come that next Monday. You hear the word on Sunday, you receive it with joy, you're all about it, and then Monday morning, 
you learn about a, a tragedy and, nah, if God was good, he wouldn't do this. And you walk away. Or maybe, maybe you receive the word and it's years and years before tribulation or struggle or persecution or trials come. And at that point, nah, it's not for me. God's really not that good. That's the second type of human heart. Then we have a third type. The third type are the thorns. Verse 18 says this, Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. So here's the third type of human heart. Jesus says, these are ones that are sown among the thorns. If you sow some seeds among the thorns, it may very well start shooting up and start growing and look like it's going to be productive. But I tell you what, those thorns are going to take over. I've got a rose bush in my front yard right now that's got a, some sort of vine that, that's growing over it. And I have not taken care of the vine. And I know that if I don't, that rose bush is not going to last much longer. What that vine is doing is it's choking out the rose bush. And Jesus says this, this is exactly the third type of human heart. It's those who, the seed, the seed is sown among thorns. And it seems like it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow up and it's going to produce fruit. But as soon as it starts to grow up, those thorns begin to choke it out and kill it. And Jesus says this is the person who cares more about the desires of the world, who cares more about earthly gain, who cares more about money, who's more wrapped up in worldly things, that ultimately their desire for money, their desire for other things, their desire for power, wealth, whatever it is, ultimately chokes out the word. And then he even adds a very essential uh, point, point here. He says, and it proves unfruitful. So don't think that this human heart, even though it seems like the word is taking root, but yet there's other things that are, that are pulling for our attention that we really want to mm, further our wealth or we really want to you know, get, get higher in, in the, the status at work or, or whatever it is, whatever your desires are, it says the word proves unfruitful. Leaving no room for thinking, well, we can sow the word here and then also enjoy all these other things. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's unfruitful. So that's the third type, condition of human heart. And then we have a fourth. Verse 20. He says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So now here's the fourth type of soil compared to the fourth type of human heart. And this is the one on which the word lands, it takes root, and it bears fruit. This is the person who hears the gospel message and they believe it with their whole heart. The gospel message takes root in their life. There are no... Uh, thorns that are going to choke it out. There is no sun that's going to scorch it because of no roots. This is legitimate and this are the type of people who genuinely believe the good news of the gospel. These are the four types of soil. The path, the rocky ground, 
the thorns, and then the good soil. So we read about all these, and, and we, we hear Jesus comparing them to these soils, and we think, all right, so what? And here's where context is, is so essential. Because if we don't have context, then this really seems like a random story. It really seems like a uh, cool comparison. Uh, that's great, but, but what, what in the world does that mean? Or what is that supposed to teach me? So if we understand what happens right before this, look back at Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. I preached on this last week. And in verse 34 and 35, Jesus is redefining who are the people of God. And he says this, looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus has been teaching up to this point, teaching openly. People are coming and listening to him, and he's teaching them things. And like last week, he's teaching them about who genuinely are the people of God. Because there's probably still some confusion, and people are probably still thinking, well, it's ethnic Israelites. It's those who descend from Abraham. It's those who can trace their family tree all the way back to Abraham because the promise was made to him, and it said that his offspring was going to be blessed and all this. So it's got to be that the Israelite people are God's chosen people. And Jesus is saying, you're misunderstanding. The promise to Abraham was never a promise that is going to be passed down through family blood. It is a promise that is passed down through faith. And Abraham's children are those who have the faith as Abraham had. Faith in God. And Jesus is redefining that for all who are sitting around and listening. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be a certain ethnicity to be in the family of God or to belong to the people of God. All you have to do is do the will of God. And as I explained, at its most basic level, the will of God is to believe in him. It's to believe the one that he has sent, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus explains to the people, who is the family of God? It's those who do the will of God. Now let me tell you a story. There was a parable, or there was a sower who went out to sow some seed. Does this help you understand why Jesus is, is teaching in this parable? What in the world he's trying to convey? Jesus is further defining who is the one who does the will of God. And he does it by teaching in the form of a parable. And so as we read the parable, we should be thinking, all right, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That means whoever is doing the will of God is belonging to the family of God. They are the ones whom Jesus calls brothers and sisters. So who does the will of God? Is it the person who has the heart that is rock hard, that completely rejects the good news of the gospel? No. Is it the person who's like the rocky soil, where the seed is, is sown and it seems like it's going to shoot up and produce fruit, but there's no root and so as soon as trouble comes, as soon as tribulation is here, they're out. No, it's not them. What about, what about the third one? Is it the people who's, who are like the, the seed that's sown among the thorns? And it seems like the seed is growing and it's going to produce fruit, but then the thorns choke it out. 
Are those the people who are doing the will of God? No. And then we have the fourth soil. And the fourth soil is the good soil. This is where the seed lands, the gospel lands on their hearts, and it produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. They are the ones that bear fruit. So in this parable, Jesus is helping us understand who does the will of God. Who belongs to the family of God? And the point is, only the fourth soil or the fourth type of human heart, the ones who receive the word and it bears fruit, they are the ones who truly are doing the will of God and who belong to the family of God. I wonder which soil most accurately represents your heart this morning. Notice this. Now, I said at the beginning, we don't want to find... We don't, we don't want to dig too deep into the details, but I do think this is interesting. There's four types of soils. Only one is where the seed genuinely produces fruit. Meaning, it seems like this is 25% success rate. That's pretty bad. It seems like, man, if the kingdom of God is only 25% successful, that's a failure. But I think we can notice from this that although it may not be overwhelming and although the kingdom of God's growth may not be abundantly evident, the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is falling on hearts who are going to bear fruit. But notice also that it looks like three of the four are genuinely growing, genuinely bearing fruit. So we shouldn't be surprised to notice that people fall away sometimes. It shouldn't shock us to think that people could fall away after being part of our church for so long. Unfortunately, it happens. I've seen it myself. And Jesus is just explaining, there's these types of people out there. Don't be shocked, don't be surprised if that's the case, that they seem to receive the gospel with joy and they seem to be all in for Jesus Christ and as soon as life gets hard, they're gone. It looks like three of the four are going to be fruitful when in fact only one will be. So I think the, the takeaway for, for us who are reading this parable, who are trying to make sense of it, trying to understand what Jesus was driving at, is exactly this. Which soil is my heart? Which soil accurately represents me? Am I hardened? Am I rejecting the word? Am I not even letting it penetrate my heart? Or Am I the rocky soil? Am I the one who, who seems to receive it with joy, but as soon as things get hard and things get difficult, we want nothing to do? Or am I the one with the thorns? And am I so wrapped up in the things of this world that the gospel just is being choked out? Or is my heart the good soil? 
Am I hearing the word? Am I allowing it to take root and to produce fruit? This parable is is a wonderful parable for all of us to read and do some, some, some soul searching. Jesus wants you to think, which soil am I? Am I doing the will of God? Am I the good soil? Am I the bad soil? Am I the rocky or the thorny or the path? That's what we are left with considering. So as we end this morning, I want us to think as we leave, which soil am I? Where's my heart? Let me pray and we'll be done. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for this parable. God, and although you began to teach in parables at a point in your ministry to call judgment on those who have rejected you, you have supplied us with the explanation so that we can know, so that we can understand, so that we can believe and be forgiven of our sins. God, I ask that you'd help us to be reflective this morning as we consider which soil more accurately represents our own heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.